The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this morning comes from Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 17. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's good to be with you again. If we haven't met before, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. I uh, got a week off, and the old pulpit slash lectern is back. Here we are. So I'm ready to go today. Buckle up. Here we are. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you've got your Bible. Uh, that's where we'll be waiting in together today. Uh, before we get there, though, I just got to... Um, own something that's the reality of this series. Uh, after week one, somebody came up to me uh, in the middle of the week, and they said, hey, Tim, I just, I'm just wondering, because we've got seven more weeks of this, is the whole series going to be sad? And I said, yes, unfortunately. Uh, I'm really sorry for that. But here's the reality, is that that question has been something I've gotten a lot. It's like, this, this series is just brutal. Like, it's painful, and this is hard, and there's some things that we're having to talk about that just kind of make us a little bit uncomfortable. And really, if I can just be honest with you, that's part of the reason why we wanted to do this series. Part of the reason why we even wanted to take eight weeks to talk about the book of Ecclesiastes is because the book of Ecclesiastes is difficult, and so much of our lives is set up to buffer against the difficult, to buffer against the painful. But we, as the church, need to be the first to step into these conversations and say, yes, there is brokenness that's a part of the reality of life under the sun. But God is here. And so we're doing that once again. So let me pray for us and ask the Lord to be with us and help us because we need him as we seek to apply his word into our lives. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to once again be with your people, to get to worship you and celebrate you and to sing and remind ourselves of what we so quickly forget that even though our sins are many, your mercy is more. 
And so the challenge for us is because you have done so much for us that we in response, by your grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, seek first your kingdom. So God, I pray that's true for us today, that you would resonate that reality in our hearts, that you would help us as we take another honest look at Ecclesiastes and are guided once again by the preacher in this book, Lord, that we would be helped, shaped, molded, honest, that you'd be near to us in the painful parts of that honesty. We love you. We need you. Help us. And all God's people said, amen. I need you, as we get started this morning, to lean into a little bit of the difficult and sadness with me. So I want you to think about, for just a second, the last difficult season that you lived through. The last difficult season. The last time you found yourself asking, what on earth is happening here? Think about the last season where it felt like for days or for weeks or for months, all you could pray was, God, what are you doing? You ever had some of those moments? Maybe you're in one of those seasons right now. You're like, I don't need to think about it. It's now. Now is that season. I remember last summer, uh, near the end of the summer, early fall, I walked through one of these seasons. There were some difficult and personally painful situations happening within the church. I'd lost two grandparents in the span of about six months. Lindsay's grandmother was diagnosed with cancer. We were just struggling, adapting to life as a family of four. And we had just got done working through a sermon series on emotional health. And it revealed to me, ironically, that I had a lot of emotional unhealth. I just found so much of my prayer life during that season asking the Lord the question, Lord, what are you doing here? Like, what is the point of this? Like, what is this season about? Where is this leading? How is this a part of your plan? And so maybe you're in one of those seasons right now. Chances are you've lived a handful of those seasons. And as Ecclesiastes 3 will tell us today, there's more seasons like that most likely to come for you. And so maybe you found yourself or even currently find yourself asking these same questions. God, what are you doing? And today in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the preacher is going to enter into those questions with us and help us make sense of this reality. But because it's Ecclesiastes, I have to warn you, you may not immediately like his answer. You may not immediately like what the preacher has to offer you in the midst of those questions and those seasons. A few weeks ago, we did an entire sermon on the act and practice of lament. What do we do when, when we're grieving? How do we bring those griefs and those tears to God when his kingdom is not breaking forth in our lives how we desire? And that was like, to be honest with you, the hug sermon. That was like, hey, let me just, just hug a little bit in the suffering and in the grief and in the questions. This sermon, because it's Ecclesiastes, is a little bit more like the shake you by your arms and say, this is just how life is kind of sermon. And so let me just warn you, the preacher's big theme of chapter three is going to be this. This is his answer to the questions. Here's his big argument. Control is an illusion. Control is an illusion. So far in the book, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the preacher has told us everything is vanity. And then in chapter 2, he told us striving for more is vanity. And today what we see in chapter 3 is that grasping for control is vanity. It's meaningless. It's a vapor. It's fleeting. Why? Because control is an illusion. You simply cannot control the times and seasons that will enter your life. You can certainly try to make wise decisions. You can try to be a good steward of what God has given you. Do the best with what is in front of you, absolutely, but the seasons are going to come. 
And that, if we're willing to be sacredly honest, is actually part of God's good design. Recognizing, admitting, coming to grips with the fact that control will always be out of reach actually frees us up to live the good life with God. That's where we're headed today, but to get there, we've got to just kind of be patient because the preacher's going to take us on an argument that's going to build on itself. And in that argument of chapter three, there's going to be comforts and there's going to be challenges. That's where we're headed. Three challenges, three comforts. He's going to build an argument. You're going to want it resolved faster than he's going to resolve it, but I promise it will get resolved. Okay, so just stick with us. It's going to be good. We good? Sweet. Awesome. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one. Here we go. For everything, there is a season, a time for every matter and under, under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So the preacher's doing here in this poem is utilizing a Hebrew poetry uh, tool called a merism. And a merism uses two polar opposites to make up a whole. So the preacher here, in giving us two polar opposites, is describing two holes of a human existence. So what he's saying here is, these are the summation of our lives. This is the seasons we live through as humans. We are born, and then we die. We dance at a wedding, and then we mourn the loss of the one we danced with. We start a business and then the business closes down. We embrace and hug and welcome others, and then we refrain from embracing as relationships end and friends move away. We laugh with friends, and then we weep for what the people we used to laugh with have done to us. The preacher says, for everything, for all of that, there is a season. And that word season is so important to the text. So the Bible has kind of two specific ways it talks about time. It talks about chronos time and kairos time. Chronos is where you get our word chronological, right? It's time that just kind of moves in succession. Kairos time in the scriptures are appointed times. These moments on the map of our lives that just kind of break out and break in. And that's the word the preacher is using here for season. He said each season of our lives has its appointed time. It has its time to come and to go. And this brings us to the first challenge of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We have no control over the seasons of our lives. That's the first challenge. It's the first thing we have to wrestle with. We have no control over the seasons of our lives. Some of the seasons the preacher describes are extremely painful, are they not? Killing, weeping, tearing down, mourning, losing. These are painful realities. These are not things most of us would choose if we were completely in control of our lives, right? Most of us would not choose these things. None of us are like, you know what? This Thursday, I got to have some time for weeping, right? Like you're like, hey, how's the week looking? It's good. On Wednesday, I'm going to do some tearing down. But that's not how we think about our lives. If it was up to all of us in the room, our lives would be half of the poem, right? If it was up to us, this poem would read, there's a time to be born, plant, heal, build up, laugh, dance, gather, embrace, seek, keep, sow, speak, or for some of us, refrain from speaking, live, and peace. That was a joke for the introverts. That's why we didn't laugh. We got it. We just didn't. We didn't want to laugh out loud because then people would hear us. 
We'd love to be able to control our lives this way, would we not? If someone offered you a roadmap to a stress-free, full of smiles, everything and everyone turns out all right life, you'd probably take them up on it, correct? I know I would. In fact, I would argue a good portion of our energy as humans goes to that very thing. We spend so much of our energy and lives trying to buffer us from anything that is hard and painful and sad. If it was up to us, the difficult seasons of our lives would never enter our lives, and yet they still do. And that's the preacher's point. If we were in control, we would never have the hard seasons, but the hard seasons are going to come. Therefore, what's the, what's the argument? We are not in control. For everything, there's an appointed season. Then if that's not enough, sucker punch of verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? What's the implied answer based on what the preacher's been saying for the first two chapters? Nothing. In other words, because there is an appointed time for everything and every season, joy and pain, life and death, what do you gain from all your work and effort? What do you gain from trying to live a life of only the good and pleasant stuff, striving to live only the good seasons? The preacher says, nothing. You gain nothing. And that's the challenge. But there's a comfort here too. Look back at verse one with me. Notice how he starts the poem. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under what? Under what? Heaven. Where have we been in the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes? We've been under what? Under the sun. And now where are we? Under heaven. This is not a random word choice. This is intentional. Up until now, we have been under the sun in Ecclesiastes, where everything is vanity and meaningless. Now, we're living through the seasons where? Under heaven. These seasons of life that come and go outside of our control are not devoid of the presence of God. They are with and in and part of the presence of God. These are not random appointed times by some ethereal force you can call the universe. These are life under heaven, meaning these are God's appointed times. He has set them over us and he is in them with us. And this is what Solomon says as he continues in verse 10. I have seen the business that who? God has given to the children of man to be busy with. In other words, I've seen these seasons, these times of our lives we can't control, and God is over them. He says the same thing in, in chapter 7, verse 14. He says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other. That's a hard truth. It's a hard thing to grasp with. The, the preacher would say he has appointed them and under heaven he is in them with us. And here's why that matters. Verse 11, because he has made everything beautiful in its time. We have no control over the seasons of our lives. Seasons you'd rather not come are going to come. But here's comfort number one. God is with us and he's making everything beautiful in its time. That's the first comfort of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In life with God, there is an appointed time for every season. He takes, but yet he takes all of them, every single one of them, even the ones we'd much rather not go through, and is making them beautiful. Now, beautiful here doesn't mean easy. And beautiful here doesn't mean simple. And beautiful here doesn't mean quick. Beautiful here is the Hebrew word yaffa, and it most directly translates as fitting and appropriate. In other words, God has made the seasons you've been in 
is making the seasons you're in right now and will make the next tough, tough season you go through and the next beautiful season you go through to be exactly what is needed and appropriate and fitting in the larger picture that he is creating. This is what theologians call God's providence. It's not simply that he rules over us and over the seasons and times of our lives, but that they are fitting for us as his people. Theologian Philip Ryken says it this way. I think it's really helpful. He says, God rules all our moments and all our days, and there is a definite orderliness to what he does. There is a fittingness to what happens. God does everything at just the right time. Time. It's like when you're working on a puzzle and you've got those two big sections and you're, they just won't connect. You know what I'm saying? Like those two sections are like they're not putting together and they're you finally, finally find like there's that one puzzle piece you accidentally dropped on the ground and you've been working on it for hours and you pick it up and you put it in and it perfectly puts the two sections together. That is Yaffa. That is fitting. That is appropriate. That is beautiful. That is what God is doing in the seasons of our lives. However, that leads to challenge number two. Let's keep reading verse 11. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Here's challenge number two. We want to know what God is doing, but can't. It's challenge number two. We want to know what God is doing, but can't. He has put eternity into man's heart, the preacher tells us, meaning in the midst of living through these uncontrollable seasons, God has put something in us that makes us want to get out from under it, see the big picture, and understand how it all works together. That's what it means when he says he's put eternity into our hearts. We want to know, okay, God, I want to step back and with you see how this all fits together. Like, what is the fitting that you are doing here? I've shared this illustration before, um, and so you guys, a lot of you know this, but anytime I sit down to watch a movie, it's really hard for me to get through the whole movie without spoiling it for myself. So about 30 or 45 minutes in, I just reached this point where I'm so uncomfortable with the tension for most movies, not like Frozen, okay, but like for a good movie, I'm like, what is going to happen here? Like how, sorry, how is this going to get resolved? Like I have that question every time. And so finally, enough of you guys know this and made fun of me about it that I tried to change my behavior because social shame is a good way to change your behavior. And so I was like, all right, instead, I'm just going to become that annoying person who asks questions before the questions are resolved in the movie. And so Lindsay and I started sitting down to watch movies, and I would say, a character would pop on the screen, and I'd be like, who are they? And then some plot point would happen, and I'd be like, what does that mean? And eventually, she got so annoyed with me that she was like, can you just go back to check the endings again, please? Like, this is not... Uh, a few nights ago, so I'm a huge uh, Golden State Warriors basketball fan, pre-bandwagon, and they're in the NBA playoffs right now, and I was watching one of the games, and I got so nervous in the third quarter that what was going to happen, I literally turned it off and went to bed. I was like, I can't handle it. I'm just going to watch this tomorrow and see what happens then, because I have to know how it ends. And listen, that's a silly example that we can all laugh at on my behalf. That's totally fine. It's my need for control. But that feeling, that how is this going to go? That is the feeling the preacher says we have when it comes to those seasons in our lives. That's the feeling he wants to bottle up in us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He has put eternity in the hearts of man. God, what are you doing? That's the question at our gut. That's what's going on within our hearts. Yet, here's the challenge, so that he cannot find out what God has done. That's the challenge. God, what are you doing here? Show me how this is fitting. Show me how this makes sense. But here's the challenge. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done. God, it puts it in our hearts. You're going to want to know. Here's the challenge. You're not going to know. But here's the comfort. Skip down to verse 14. We'll come back to 12 and 13 at the end. 
I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Comfort number two, it is God's grace that we do not know because it causes us to fear him more. So here's the challenge you're going to want to know. He's put eternity into your heart, and yet you can't know what God is doing. But here's the comfort. It's actually God's grace because it causes us to fear him more. Because you see, God is writing this forever story. What he does, the preacher says, endures forever. And it's a story bigger than us, more cosmic and global than us, where we are not the main character. The main character of this thing called the universe is who? God. That's not a true question. It's God. God is the main character. And so this season of your life, as difficult as it is, as painful as it is, the preacher's trying to orient us in the larger picture, that it's one small piece of one bigger puzzle on one cosmic redemption story that God is writing. He works in eternity. And he's done it, and he does not tell us why, so that we will fear him. That's a really important word from the preacher. Because what happens when we fear God is that we learn to come to him with more proper reverence and adoration and respect and humility. We want to know what God is doing, and yet we can't, but that is his grace so that we will fear him more, meaning we will see, whoa, I want to know, but I can't know, and God both knows and is working it out. How much bigger is he than me? How much more is he over this season of my life than I am? A few weeks ago, I took uh, Harper, our three-year-old, to Carowinds, and we went over Christmas, uh, and it did not go well when we tried to ride rides. Uh, We took Janessa with us, and and she can testify to this. It was just like meltdown when she was on one of the rides. And so she's a little bit older by a few months, and so I was like, let's go back and try again. And we get on the first ride. It's like this hot air balloon kid ride, and it's very fast. And she's looking at me, and she's like, Dada, what does this do? Like, what is this going to do? And I said, I I don't know, to be honest with you. Uh, But I I did. I watched it. But I was like, here, babe, I, I can't explain it to you. Like, I can't explain to you, child, how this is going to go up and down and spin around. Like, I I don't think your mind can comprehend it, but here's the good news. I'm on the hot air balloon with you, and I promise this is going to be for your good. That's what the preacher is pointing us to. Our minds cannot comprehend what God is doing, and it's his grace because he knows that causes us to fear him more. God's like this, and he's working this out. So that's where we've been so far, right? God is making everything, all of the seasons of our lives, beautiful in their appointed times. We long to control our seasons, live with only the good ones. We want to know what he's doing and how he's making them beautiful, but we can't. And that's his design so that we would fear and trust him more. But there's one more challenge, verse 15. I think this one's probably the hardest one. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Here's the third challenge. Beautiful might not come this side of eternity. That's the third thing the preacher points us to. He says more, notice in verse 16, we're back under the sun, right? We moved out again from under heaven. Now we're back under the sun, back this side of eternity. So under heaven with God, he's making it beautiful. But here under the sun, life here and now, life is broken people in a broken world. Instead of justice, the preacher says, there's wickedness. Instead of righteousness, there's wickedness. Meaning instead of resolutions, there's questions. Instead of confidence in God, there's doubts. So this sounds like in our lives, okay, I know God is doing something, but why did this person who hurt me get away without punishment? Like, I know God is making it beautiful, but how is their beauty from suffering? 
Okay, I hear you. God is making this fitting and appropriate for what I need, but right now it just feels like pain. When is it going to get resolved? And the preacher would name that frustration for us, that under the sun things don't seem fair, that instead of justice, there's wickedness. But here's the promise, verse 17. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every good work. So the challenge is that beautiful might not come this side of eternity, but the comfort is that God deals in eternity. See that? The challenge is, okay, this beautiful, this fitting, this appropriate might not come here under the sun, but God doesn't live under the sun. Because here under the sun, justice is withheld. Here under the sun, instead of righteousness, there's wickedness. Here under the sun, what we want to come to resolution isn't coming to resolution, but God lives in a much bigger scope than we do, a much bigger story that he is writing, a much larger narrative than we can ever understand. Remember verse 14, what God does endures forever. In other words, the making everything beautiful is an eternity work. It goes on into the forever. You see, everything in our lives, every season is pointing forward in one of two different ways. The beautiful seasons, the joy-filled seasons, the life seasons are pointing us forward to make us long for the deeper joy to come in Christ. And the difficult seasons, the tearing down seasons, the painful seasons are making us long for that forever joy that's going to come in Christ. This is David Gibson. He says it this way. He says, in my finite story, I am often left grasping after several different threads and cannot seem to weave them into one coherent whole. My story has broken characters, jarring interruptions, unexpected joys, relationships caught up in unresolved tensions and difficulties. My life story has unexplained contradictions. I have plenty of unanswered questions. And in God's kindness and mercy, I have yet unfinished chapters. But notice this, my story is not the story. The story reveals that there will be a time of judgment, and believers trust that judgment will finally prevail. And so we receive that as a comfort. We receive that because our story is not the story, the story we know is leading somewhere. It's leading to a time where God will judge the righteous and the wicked, and those who set themselves under the work of Jesus, he will declare righteous and with him in eternity forever. There'll be no more crying. No more sorrow, no more difficult seasons. So yes, the promise that this season will not last forever is in fact true. It just might take to life after the sun to make it true. All right, that was a lot. How are you feeling? Yeah, same. Uh, let me try to summarize this for us real quick. Okay, so here's, here's what I want to do. Let me try to summarize everything we just went through before we apply it into our lives. Imagine that chapter three is like a counseling session with the preacher, all right? So imagine you sit down and the preacher is sitting across from you over coffee or on couches, and they're going to have this kind of back and forth dialogue with you. Here's a little bit of how it might sound, okay? You show up and you're like, all right, preacher, I'm going through a really hard season. Like it is tough. Here's all the reasons why it's tough. It's difficult. It's challenging. It's full of tears and weeping, and I don't understand what is happening. Here's my question. How do I get out of this season? Like, how do, I, how do I keep myself from this season? How do I make sure this season never happens to me again? Because this is painful. Here's the preacher's response. Well, I've got some bad news. The seasons of our lives are uncontrollable. 
The good are going to come and the bad are going to come. You can try your best to not make foolish decisions, to be good stewards of what God has given you, but here's the reality. Those seasons are still going to come. They're a part of life, and that's hard, but here's the good news the preacher would remind you of. God is making it fitting. He's making it beautiful. He's doing something in the midst of it. So you respond, okay, I hear that good news. That sounds good. God is doing something. So like, what is he doing here? Like, what is the fitting that he's working out in this season of my life? To which the preacher responds, see, that's the second issue. You want to know. You really want to know what the preacher's doing. That's actually, you want to know what God's doing. And that's actually put there in you by God. You want to know how is this working out. But, But here's the difficult thing is that God might keep that from you. He might do that out of his grace to make you fear him more. But trust, trust this, the preacher would remind you, he executes justice. He will make it beautiful. It will get resolved, to which you reply, okay, that's hard. Like, I want to know what he's doing, but okay, I get it. God's doing something. He's going to resolve it at some point. When? Like tomorrow? Next week? A month? A year? Five years? Like, when is this going to get resolved? To which the preacher one last time says, that's what's even harder. The resolution for this one might take into eternity. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Painful, honest, real. You cannot control the seasons. You may not know why God has brought this season into your life, and it may not get resolved until you're in eternity with Jesus, but you can trust that God is and will make it beautiful. So what do we do with that? Let's consider... Once more, these three sacred invitations of Ecclesiastes. These three invitations the book keeps drawing us back to, to how to live wise in light of these realities. Number one is sacred honesty. Sacred honesty. We keep going back to these. I think think the first invitation, what it means to be sacredly honest in light of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, is to stop rebelling against the season that you're in, and instead learn what it means to live with wisdom in the season where you find yourself. Learn to own and acknowledge the season. You see, Ecclesiastes 3 has to disciple us in one of two directions. For some of us, we don't know how to cry. For some of us, we don't know how to actually embrace and live into the difficult season. So we just kind of cover it up, ignore it, push it away, hide it, whatever it may be. And so Ecclesiastes 3, if that's you, needs to disciple you into being mature enough to have tears. And yet for others of us, we don't know what it's like to laugh. We don't know what it's like to smile. We think every season is bad, when really 75% might be, but there's also that 25% that we refuse to step into with the goodness of God. And so Ecclesiastes 3 would also disciple us into that direction for those who aren't mature enough to laugh, to smile, and to have joy in the seasons of delight. The preacher would say, if you miss either direction, that would make you a fool. Because see what happens, fools ignore seasons. They don't ever want to feel anything bad. They don't let themselves be discipled by God into weeping when needed and laughing when needed. Fools just ignore them. Fools miss time seasons. Like nothing is worse than that friend who you show up to their life, right? You're sitting down for coffee and you're like, here's all the hard stuff and they don't know how to handle it. They don't know when it's a time to be quiet. They don't know how it's, when it's time to cry. They only are like, ah, awkward. What do I do here? Fools miss time seasons. They don't know how to step in with wisdom. Still yet, fools refuse seasons. They spend all of their energy trying to work their way out of a season rather than trusting that God makes it beautiful in its time. And so the first invitation is to name the season without denial and learn to live in accordance with what it calls for. What is this season God has put me in? And how do I live wisely? How do I live well in this season, good or bad? 
Second thing is sacred mundanity. Sacred mundanity. In any given season, we are tempted to imagine or think or speculate or meditate on or worry about or mull over everything we do not know about the season where we find ourselves. So we go into a hard season and all of our energy gets sucked towards, I just want to figure out how to get out of it and why it's here, right? Like you're in that tough season, you're in that difficulty, and you're like, two things I'm giving all of my attention to. How do I get out and why did this happen in the first place? The invitation back to sacred mundanity is that the way forward in the seasons is not spending all of our time speculating over what we don't know, but rather remaining faithful in what we do know. This is how the preacher says it in 12 and 13. I perceived in the middle of these seasons that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Verses 12 and 13 are our invitation in whatever season we find ourselves. That's what the preacher's telling us. Sandwiched in between him lamenting that eternity is in our hearts, but we can't know what God is doing, and then reminding us that what God does lasts into eternity. He has this line, eat, drink, and enjoy your toil. He keeps coming back to that. He keeps coming back to that reality. There's a, a famous story in church history uh, about a guy named St. Anthony. Uh, he was a Franciscan monk in the 12th century. And as the story goes, Anthony was living in this really difficult season. The season came upon him where he was depressed and sorrowful and just lamenting the different situations in his life. And he shows up to his spiritual director and he asks, he says, what, what do I do, right? Like, how do I, how do I get out of this? And, and they're like, just go, go pray. So he goes and he starts praying, Lord, take me out of this season. Take me out of this season. Show me the way out from this difficult season. And he says, after weeks of praying, it felt like God just wasn't answering. Like he wasn't showing up. He wasn't responding. It just felt like God wasn't giving him what he wanted. He says, one day he fell asleep and he had a dream. And in the dream, he saw a picture of a man. And the man would sit down and do some work. And then he would stand up and he would pray. And he would sit down again and do a little more work. And then he would stand up again and pray. And the way that St. Anthony tells it is that in his dream, he hears the Lord say to him, do this and you will be cured. What Anthony came to write about and understand was that what he needed in this difficult season was not a way out, but a way forward. And that way forward was staying his course and attending to what he knew to do in front of him. The life of a monk, pray and work, pray and work, pray and work. God, what do I do in the midst of this terrible, difficult season? Give yourself to the very things you give yourself to in every season. Pray and work, pray and work. The four things we keep inviting you back to in this series, right? A place to belong, a people to love, good work to do in the presence of God. What do I do in the good seasons? You live into the place you belong, the people you love, the work you have to do, all in the presence of God. What do you do in the really hard seasons? You give yourself to the people you love, the place you belong, the work to do in the presence of God. That is the way forward. What do I do in the midst of this difficult season? You keep doing the things you know to do. You pray and you work. And you pray and you work. And as you do that, you recognize that God is here. That leads to third, sacred joy. Sacred joy. And here's where we'll close. Here's the gospel hope and the gospel good news. Eternity with Jesus is coming. 
Just like, just sit on that for a moment. All right, I know it's been a lot. I know we're like, this is overwhelming. Just sit on that for a moment. Eternity with Jesus is coming. For all who trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, we can trust this day is coming where Christ will return and everything will be made beautiful. And so while we wait, I'm giving myself to the mundane. People, place, work, presence of God, I'm giving myself to this. And as you're giving yourself to this, you learn to receive joy as we rest in the presence of the one well acquainted with our seasons. That's the good news of Jesus. Jesus came from outside the sun, under the sun, and lived every single one of these Ecclesiastes three seasons. Did he not? Every single one. Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, but was born into a time of war. Two years old, his family is fleeing as refugees to Egypt to avoid being killed. Jesus lived a time to heal. He healed the sick, cared for the lame, cared for the blind. He also lived a time to break down as he drove out the money changers from the temple. Jesus lived a time to laugh. He often feasted and celebrated. He was accused because of how much he gave himself to care and celebrate with others of being a glutton and a drunkard. He never was, but he was accused of that because he knew what it was to feast and celebrate, but he also knew a time to weep as those closest to him died and betrayed him. Jesus knew a time to seek. He says, I came to seek and save the lost. I came after the lost sheep of Israel. He also knew a time to lose as he spoke judgment on those who were wolves and false shepherds. Jesus knew a time to speak. He taught many things, the Sermon on the Mount, all of these different discourses in the book of Matthew. He also knew a time to refrain from speaking as he silently bore the condemnation and lies of his accusers before the cross. And most of all, Jesus knew there was a time to be born. That fateful uh, night in Bethlehem, right? That glorious manger in Bethlehem at the appointed time, Isaiah says, Jesus was born, but Jesus also knew a time to die. He came as was promised and died as was promised. And so here's the good news. Part one, Jesus knows our seasons. He just knows them. He's well acquainted with our grief and suffering. He's well acquainted with our temptation. He's well acquainted with all of the times we're left with wrestling. I don't know why this is happening. And he knows that pain. He knows that suffering. He knows that feeling. He is the most empathetic savior you will ever imagine. He knows what it's like to cry and to be abandoned and to be cast aside and to be looked down upon. But even better, good news part two, he not only knows our seasons, he reigns over our seasons. You see, there was a place where only half of Ecclesiastes 3 poem was true. There was a place. It was called the Garden of Eden, Genesis 1 and 2. In the Garden of Eden, it was only a time to laugh. It was only a time to celebrate. It was only a time to embrace, only a time to dance, only a time to seek and to sow. And here's the reality. Though we live in a Genesis 3 world, though we live on this side of the garden where we feel the sting and death of plucking up and killing and weeping and mourning and casting away and breaking down in silence and war, we know and rest and put our hope and confidence in the fact that Jesus entered once Eden to recover what was lost. And he promises to one day usher in a new Eden where once again the poem will read, there's a time to be born and a time to laugh and a time to embrace, and a time to seek, and a time to sow. That's where we're headed. And that's what makes all of this here and now beautiful. So here's where we'll close. Control is an illusion. The seasons of life are going to come. But when the seasons come, and they will, when the unknown of the why taunts your mind, give yourself to the next thing in the place you are. Work, work, 
pray, work, pray, eat, drink, enjoy your family and friends, take a walk, look at the sun, breathe. God is with you. He's here. He's making it beautiful and it's time. Let's pray together. Lord, we receive all of your word. We receive what is true. We want to receive Ecclesiastes 3, even when it's difficult. We want to remember, Lord, that control is an illusion, that it's something we desire and want, but it's fleeting. It stays out of our reach. And we want to buffer ourselves. We want, we want, if it was up to us, our lives to have half the seasons. Lord, and yet you call us with honesty and open eyes at reality of life under the sun. Yet you promise, Lord, in the midst of this hard, difficult, painful uncertainty where we ask all these questions, Lord, what are you doing? How do, how do, I, how do I make sense of this? Like, how does this fit? What is this? What's the point of this one? God. You call us back to yourself. Say, I'm with you. I'm in it. I know it. I'm not abandoned you in the hard season. I'm not only good in the good seasons. I'm here and now with you too. I know what it's like to live the seasons, Lord. You entered into our seasons and reign over our seasons. So give us wisdom, God. Give us wisdom to give ourselves to the next thing, trusting you, God, that we would work and pray and work and pray and trust. You have not left us in the seasons. Lord, I, I want to pray especially for those in those seasons right now. think back to a time six months ago or a year ago or three years ago or like, no, I know the season. It's, it's now. Like, this is the season of breaking down. It's painful and it hurts and I'm asking all of those questions. God, what are you doing? Like, how does this make sense? How do I, what do I do with this? Lord, and I, I pray that in your kindness and in your mercy, you would draw near Comfort like only you can comfort. You would hold as only you can hold. That you would calm and quiet the questions. The still and sure and true sound of your voice that you are present. That you are here. That you are with us. That you've not abandoned us, that you've not left us, and that you're making it beautiful in its time. And so we trust you. We trust you if that's this side of eternity. We trust you if it's that side of eternity. We just want to trust you. What an impossible task. So send your spirit. Send your spirit. We need you. We love you. Amen.